listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. Drinking the Kool-Aid is a phrase that was made popular in the United States of America as a result of the November 18, 1978 mass suicides that took place in Jonestown, Guyana. There was a cult called the People's Temple led by a man named Jim Jones, and he coerced and cajoled and persuaded and deceived over 900 people to drink a powdered substance that we call Kool-Aid. It actually was Flavor-Aid. It actually was Flavor-Aid. Kool-Aid's gotten a bad rap ever since. They mixed it with cyanide, and over 900 people drank the Kool-Aid. So drinking the Kool-Aid, that phrase is a phrase that's become popular in reference to an individual or a group of people who do something, who give in to peer pressure to their own detriment. And if ever there was a group of people that were deceived to their own detriment, it certainly was the group of people in Jonestown, Guyana, when they believed Jim Jones and they drank the Kool-Aid. Well, in a similar way, to our own detriment, many of us in the United States of America in the church have ingested some Kool-Aid of a different kind. And it's affecting us dramatically. It's actually killing our witness, tremendously hindering our effectiveness for Christ. And that Kool-Aid that we've ingested is this lie, that a Christian and Christians should submit to and follow the local, state, or federal government no matter what. Many of us today believe that the Christian thing to do, the godly thing to do, the humble thing to do, the respectful thing to do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to follow the government and to obey the government, whether it's local, state, or federal government, no matter what. In fact, that's not taught in the scriptures. The scriptures actually teach the exact opposite when it comes to obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully, I have your attention now. You're ready to vomit up some of that Kool-Aid we've all been drinking because it's high time in the 21st century in the United States of America that we rediscover the way Christians lived in the first century as they followed God above the leaders of the day. Look with me in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Important to understand that the signs and wonders that are regularly, characteristically being done are not being done by all of the believers, but by the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's the place where the apostles would confer, where they would hang out. All right, and look at here in verse 13. None of the rest dared join them. None of the other believers dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Why? Because all of these signs and wonders were being done regularly, and we see this repeatedly throughout the book of Acts up to this point, that there are multiple times where it's said, 
that God was doing miraculous signs and wonders through the apostles. So they're respecting God. The people are respecting God. They're revering God. They're honoring God. The fear of God has fallen upon the people. In the verses just preceding this, we see that the fear of God fell upon the people again because of what happened from within the church with Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit when there was such transparency and such honesty and such community. These deceivers, self-deceived, wanting to deceive others, the sins of self-protection and self-glorification were running amok in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see that God struck them dead as a means of making a statement that he does not share his glory with another. And when God is moving, watch out, everybody, you need to move with him. And so the people are reverencing God. They're respecting God. And the representatives of God are none other than the leaders in the church. Important for us to understand, the leaders in the church are the ones that the rest of the congregation, the rest of the believers are looking to the leaders and respecting them and honoring them as they should. And here it's important for us to understand that the reason why the signs and wonders are being done through the apostles is because it's God's way of confirming that his hand was upon them as the ones who are establishing the church. Remember in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And God was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see that this is a real movement of God. So it's important for us to understand today that there was a reason why, there was a strategic reason why the hand of God was upon the apostles and they specifically are the ones through whom the miraculous signs and wonders were being manifest. And so rightly so, in a God-honoring way, the rest of the believers are respecting God's hand upon the apostles. That's what we're seeing here. None of the rest there joined them in verse 13, but the people held them in high esteem. Verse 14, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It's important for us to understand that in David's day, Jerusalem was only about 16 acres in size. Now to help you understand, some of you own more than 16 acres of land. Our church owns more than 16 acres of land or 17 or 18 or 19 or 20 or 21, et cetera, 38 acres of land. So when you leave here today and you look back at the property, understand that Jerusalem during David's day was less than half the size of the amount of land that our particular church has. A few hundred years after the time of David, Jerusalem is not very much larger than that in size. So when you have multitudes upon multitudes, thousands of people, 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, another 2,000 saved earlier here in the book of Acts in chapter four, as we see. And here we see again, it said again, multitudes of people. You have thousands of people in a few acres worth of land. This is a movement of God that's underway. And God's people are moving with him, at least some of the people, most of the people, are moving with God. But there's always people, there are always people who are not moving with God, not willing to move with God, even though God is doing amazing things in the midst of everybody. And this is one such case. Verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Reminiscent of the ministry of Jesus, and now the recovering victim of fear pressure. We call it peer pressure, but Peter is the one 
who God raised up to be the leader of the leaders in the church in that day. And so the people are recognizing that, that they even want just the shadow of Peter to fall on them. And look what happens here. Look what it says. Verse 16, the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Reminiscent of the ministry of Jesus. Now, the ministry of Jesus is continuing through the ministry of the apostles. They're the ones to whom the baton has been passed, and signs and wonders are occurring in their lives, through their lives, to authenticate the apostles as the messengers ordained by Almighty God. They have the message of Jesus. They are to be listened to, followed, and they're the ones who are going to be the church planters throughout all the world as we're going to see as we continue in the book of Acts, all right? So the signs and wonders are happening specifically in the lives of the apostles to help the people identify that they should listen to the apostles. They're the ones who have the teachings of Jesus. They're the ones who have the authority of Jesus placed upon them, and they're the ones who are the leaders within the church. That's why all of this is happening. That's why the signs and wonders, that's why those who are sick and afflicted with unclean spirits, demons, are being relieved. Okay, they're being healed. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. The Sadducees, again, they did not believe in a bodily, physical resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see? That's why they were sad. They're more than sad. They're vexed. They're upset. They're gnashing their teeth. They don't like this idea that the apostles are teaching and preaching. And why is it that the Sadducees are brought up here? Because the particular issue that they don't like is the idea of the resurrection. We've seen that up to this point in the book of Acts, that Peter and John have been preaching and teaching about, what have they been preaching and teaching about? The resurrection. So it makes sense that the Sadducees would be upset with the apostles because of what they're teaching. And it's important for us to take note here of a couple things. Number one, if God could use Peter, the guy who didn't have the backbone to stand up and speak out for Jesus when Jesus, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, needed his testimony, then God can use you. You've got a past, I've got a past, all of us have a past. Don't let your past keep you from God's present or his future. Don't let your past keep you from God's present work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit or what God can do in your life in the future. Many of us do that. We look at the things that have happened in our past and we allow them to become obstacles to God's work in our lives in the present day. Listen, if God could use Peter, he can use you. This is one of the reasons why I think God specifically chose Peter because we 2,000 years or so after the fact would be encouraged to read these very words, to read this very account and say, thank you, God. If you could use that guy, there's hope for me. There's hope for you. There's hope for anybody, okay? So it's important to understand that God was doing this through the apostles and he was doing this through Peter. The other thing we have to understand here is that the particular issue that needed to be addressed, the nail that needed to be hit squarely on the head was the issue of the resurrection. Because there was a group of people known as the Sadducees, and look at what we read here. Look at what we read here in verse 17, the high priest. The high priest was a member of the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. 
That's why these guys are brought to the attention here in the book of Acts. What we want to understand here is that these guys had a problem with the resurrection. What were the apostles teaching and preaching about? The resurrection, the literal, physical coming to life, coming back to life of Jesus from the dead. This is something that the Sadducees needed to hear. This is something that the apostles needed to preach because if we shrink back, imagine if they would have shrunk back in the face of the Sadducees from the very teaching of Jesus that they needed to hear as people who denied a physical bodily resurrection. They would have been cowards and their message would have been irrelevant in contrast to the way it was very relevant in the way that the Sadducees needed to hear it. So it's important for us to understand that in a similar way, today... You need to be careful, I need to be careful. We, in fact, need to repent, many of us in the body of Christ, of giving in and drinking the Kool-Aid and backing off some of the teachings of Jesus because the culture is telling us they don't want to hear about it. There are certain particular teachings of Jesus, especially in the United States of America, that really need to be taught today because the culture is telling us to sit down, shut up, we don't want to hear it. And if the local government or the state government or the federal government contradicts what the scriptures teach, you as a follower of Jesus, I as a follower of Jesus, have a biblical, God-given responsibility to stand up and to speak out and to say, no, 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 no. I will not compromise on the teachings of Jesus. And we will get there in just a moment with this amazing example, courtesy of God's word. You don't have to believe me if you don't want to, but you will believe me by the time we're done because you're going to be persuaded based on what God's word says, not just because I am saying it. One of the things that needs to happen in the United States of America is that we need to vomit up this Kool-Aid that many of us have ingested, that it is a Christian's responsibility to obey the local or the state or the federal government no matter what. That is not taught in Scripture. The opposite is actually taught in Scripture. Now, you might be listening to this by podcast or by radio, and you might now be listening to this with the pastor of your church or a seminary professor or somebody who is quote-unquote more mature Christian than you, and you might be immediately somebody who is tempted to go to Romans 13. If you've been around for any length of time, you know about Romans 13, obey those who are in leadership positions. The Apostle Paul writes about that, that we are to submit to governing authorities. Here's the thing. Romans 13 has to be weighed with Acts chapter 5. And Acts chapter 5 has to be weighed with Romans chapter 13. And the context of Romans chapter 13 is this. Number one, Paul is assuming that the leaders who are in authority that he's speaking about in Romans chapter 13 are not contradicting teachings in the Bible about the identity of Jesus or the things that Jesus taught. If the government is telling us to do things that don't fly in the face of the identity of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus, no problem. As a Christian, we are obligated before Almighty God to submit to governing authorities. However, there's a big but here, and you need to embrace this big but, all right? The big but is when a government or when a school system or when a work environment tries to coerce you or compel you or intimidate you to denying Jesus or to not follow Jesus, to compromise the teachings of Jesus, 
then you have a biblical responsibility to stand up, to speak out against the school system, against your employer, against the government, and to do it in a way that resembles the way that Peter and the apostles did it. Please understand that the way Peter and the apostles repeatedly demonstrate resistance to those who are in authority, they do it respectfully. They do it honorably. They do it. They absolutely do it. And yet they do it with respect and they do it with reverence first and foremost for God and then also for people as we're going to see in a moment. One of the things that we need to all recover from is ingesting the Kool-Aid of this lie that the Christian must submit to leadership in all circumstances, must submit to the local government, must submit to the state government, must submit to the federal government, no matter what. That is not taught in scripture. We need to draw the line in the sand. And the line is crossed when a government official or government authorities, local, state, or federal government, or a school system, or an employer, contradicts your ability or inhibits, infringes upon your ability and your mandate by God to represent Jesus and his teachings. If any individual or individuals try to compel you to sit down and shut up where God has told you to stand up and speak out, you have a God-given responsibility to disobey whoever's telling you, humanly speaking, and to obey God. Now hold on to your seat. Look with me here. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up, all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. See, there's the core of what's happening here because multitudes are following the apostles. That means they're not following the Sadducees. That's another reason why they were sad, you see? You got it? They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So we have the affirmation of Almighty God with one of his representatives, an angel telling the apostles what Jesus had told them in Matthew 28, we'll get there in just a second, to be faithful to God and not be concerned about people. So here we see an angel from the Lord actually telling the apostles not to obey the leaders. And these leaders of the nation of Israel, they're part of what God had instituted. God had given the leaders of the nation of Israel. It was up to the leaders of the nation of Israel to obey the living and true God. And they weren't obeying the living and true God because they were rejecting Jesus. And so here we have a very clear instance of God sending a representative, an angel, to tell the apostles not to listen to those who were in positions of authority. And we would do well today to take note. When we are asked, or when it is demanded of us, through legislation, or coercion, or fear pressure, I say it that way on purpose, fear pressure, to sit down and shut up and not to teach about Jesus and not to teach about the teachings of Jesus, you have to say to yourself, am I going to respect God or am I going to respect the people? That's the line in the sand. 
Nobody has the God-given authority to tell you to stop talking about Jesus, to stop living for Jesus. Nobody has the God-given authority to tell you to stop teaching people about the teachings of Jesus. In fact, God, as he told the apostles, has also told you, if you're a follower of Jesus, not to compromise no matter what the consequences are. And so here there's great consequences. Here there are tremendous consequences because the apostles are thrown into the public prison. Look, verse 19, but during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they quaked and they shaked in their boots, they bit their nails and they wondered, what does this mean? No. Understand that partial obedience is disobedience. They did not need the testimony from an angel of the Lord to come and tell them this news. They already were given the message of the Great Commission. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. They already had the words of Jesus. They already had the words of Jesus given to them, Jesus' marching orders here in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. They did not need the testimony of an angel of the Lord to do what they then did faithfully, as we'll revisit in just a moment. They already had these words, but aren't we thankful that God sent an angel of the Lord, sent somebody to encourage them and to remind them to stand up and speak out, to be courageous. God had given them the Holy Spirit. God was now giving them an angel to remind them of these words, to be obedient to Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. See, they're being obedient. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted because they had not seen this type of a resurrected body before. They might've seen Lazarus when he was raised from the dead, but they never saw a resurrected glorified body the way they were seeing it now in Jesus. You would doubt too. Don't be so hard on the disciples, okay? Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, make disciples. That word becomes important. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So important. What is a disciple? Somebody who with increasing measure, as time passes, they're maturing. You are observing, not just becoming familiar with at a mental level, but also at a heart level, also at a lifestyle level, you are observing all of the commandments of Jesus. If you are not growing in that, you might call yourself a disciple, but you are not a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. If you say you are a Christ follower, people don't like the word Christian today, they prefer the word Christ follower, the bottom line is, are you following the Christ that you're professing? That's what matters. To be a disciple is to be somebody who is observing, not just knowledgeable about, somebody who is observing all of the commands of Jesus. So there's got to be growth, not just the passage of time. There has to be Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is what it is all about. And so they had the great commission given to them already as is recorded in Matthew 28. They did not need an angel of the Lord to come and tell them, get busy with what Jesus already told you to do. But God in his mercy, in his grace, in his kindness, knew that they were facing persecution, knew that they needed a little bit of a nudge, knew that they needed a little bit of encouragement. So he sent an angel of the Lord and look what happens here. God means what he says, says what he means, doesn't change his mind, doesn't flinch. 
The mission of Jesus is to continue regardless of the consequences. Today, we're so afraid of what people might say. We're so afraid of what government might do or what government might threaten to do. It's so unlike the way the apostles were living in the first century. And we wonder why when we read the book of Acts now in the 21st century, why are in our lives like the lives of these people? Listen, we have the same message. We've been given the same marching orders. We have the same Holy Spirit. You may or may not be released from prison by an angel of the Lord. It's irrelevant. The means through which God might provide his encouragement, what is relevant and pertinent and practical and timeless is that we have been told to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and discipleship is defined as helping people observe everything that Jesus commanded. That's what it means to be involved in the Great Commission, to help people everywhere observe practice, get into their lifestyle, all the teachings of Jesus. And so after this angel of the Lord appears to them and sets them free, look what happens here in Acts chapter 5, verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But When the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. Sounds kind of similar to what we see at the end of the Gospels where Jesus, the doors are locked and Jesus comes in and stands in their midst. Somehow, somehow, all 12 apostles, Matthias is now with them. He's replaced Judas, the backstabber. Somehow, all of the apostles have been miraculously released from prison. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. They were upset. They were angered. Curious, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Don't you love it? Wow. They thought that they had outdone God. He who laughs last laughs best. And if it's possible for there to be laughing in heaven, I bet it was happening right now. Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, interestingly enough here, these apostles who are said to be filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, speaking the word of God boldly, they don't put up resistance. There's no indication here that they're putting up resistance. They're not being belligerent. They're not being arrogant. They seem to go along willingly. It's important for us to remember that they understand that God gets the last laugh. They understand that what's important is not their own comfort and convenience. There's no sin of self-protection going on here. No sin of self-glorification going on here. They are willing to give their own lives for Jesus. They go voluntarily. And they understood that these multitudes of people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who had given their lives to Christ, they can't take these apostles by force, the leaders of the Jewish people, because they were afraid of being stoned by those people. This is a movement, not just of people, it's a movement of God. This is a movement of God. I know how we need a movement of God today. We're so used to moving without God. We need a movement of God, courtesy of the Holy Spirit. A movement of God that's characterized by 
Humble courage. These apostles are humble and yet they're courageous. How do we know that they're humble? Because they're willing to go. We'll go with you. Maybe if they put up a fight, they could have incited everybody. They could have incited a riot. and They could have escaped by that means. No, they go along willingly. And look at what God does here. Verse 27, when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you. It's a us versus them thing. What are you guys, knuckleheads? Don't you understand what we told you to do? Never mind, how'd you get out of the prison, by the way? <laughs> hey, um, we're pretty good at imprisoning people, making sure people don't get out. Could you explain to us how that happened? How'd you work that out? Harry Houdini hasn't even been born yet at this point, okay? Oh, they're so jealous and so filled with rage. Verse 28, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. They can't even say the name of Jesus. Can't even bring themselves to say the name of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Be courageous in speaking up about the name of Jesus. Don't let anybody back you into a corner. Not just the name of Jesus as if it's some magic incantational way of just saying that, that name over and over again as if that's going to change things, but also be zealous for the teachings of Jesus. Don't apologize for the teaching of Jesus. These leaders of the nation of Israel, they can't even bring themselves to say the name of Jesus. That's how overcome with jealousy they are. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. See, they won't even again, they won't acknowledge his name. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Does that look to you like submission to authority no matter what? Doesn't look that way to me. I don't care if you're in first grade, 12th grade, if you're a dropout, or if you have a master's degree or doctorate. It's not hard to understand that there are times, there are moments, there are opportunities when you must obey God instead of people. And if you obey people, if you allow the concern about being popular among the people to rule and reign your life, you will never allow the Holy Spirit to get a hold of you. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, you won't care about the opinions of people. You'll only care about the opinion of God, the kingdom of God, the reputation of Jesus. Seems like Peter is rubbing salt into this already festering wound. Peter and the apostles answered, we. Look how unified they are. All of us together. We don't give a rip about being in prison. We went with you willingly. You didn't put up a fight before you. But now that you're asking us to give testimony, let us tell you a thing or two. We really don't care about your opinion with your flowing robes and your position of authority because we have it on higher authority to listen to the king and to spread his kingdom regardless of the consequences. How far we've come in the church in the 21st century, don't you think? This Kool-Aid that we've ingested? Well, you can't do that. That might be rebellious. Does Peter, do Peter and the apostles look pretty rebellious at this point? You bet your bacon they look pretty rebellious. In fact, they don't just look pretty rebellious. They are pretty rebellious by human standards. There are times when it's absolutely the spirit-led, spirit-filled thing to do 
to rebel against those who are not being led by the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter whether it's a religious figure or a local government figure or a state government figure or a federal government figure or a school or an employer. If anybody, no matter how impressive they might look, no matter what human authority they might have, no matter what authority they might have been given by Almighty God, if an individual or individuals are trying to compel you and coerce you and to intimidate you, to force you to sit down and shut up about Jesus and his teachings, you have a higher authority and obligation to answer to. And it is not to those who are telling you to sit down and shut up. It's to the Lord. The Great Commission has been given not only to the apostles, but also to you and to me. We are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, not just baptizing them, but teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. And by the way, the gospel is not just belief in the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That's not the totality of the gospel. When you read the book of Romans, for example, the gospel is defined as, write this down, commit it to memory, understand it. Christians, we need to understand this. The gospel is defined as all of the teachings of the Bible, all of the teachings of Jesus. That is the gospel. So when we see Jesus at the end of the gospel of Luke on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and the other disciple, and it says that he opened their minds to the scriptures and helped them understand how from Moses and the prophets, they're all about him. What do we understand? We understand that the teachings of Jesus are found from Genesis to Revelation. The whole Bible is the commands of Jesus. See, many of us today, we think, well, unless it has to deal with people trying to get me to back off about the identity of Jesus and I can't talk about the crucifixion, I can't talk about the resurrection, as long as that's not jeopardized, I need to comply. I need to obey. Sorry, it's not that limited. The commandments of Jesus have to do with all of what the Bible teaches. To teach somebody to love God is to teach somebody to obey God. There's a four-letter word that needs to be in your vocabulary as a follower of Jesus. In fact, there are two four-letter words that need to be in your vocabulary as a Christ follower, as a Christian, as a crosswalker. They need to be in your vocabulary. They're not ugly words. They're beautiful words, and they go hand in glove. They're interchangeable. They are interchangeable. The first word L-O-V-E, love. Four-letter word. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. There's no commandment greater than these, Jesus says in Mark chapter 13. You can look it up for yourself later on. But what does it mean to love God? Well, you have to understand another four-letter word. To love God is to O-B-E-Y to obey God. It is not possible to love God if you're not obeying God. The Great Commission, teaching them to observe all of the commandments. The idea is not just to commit them to memory, but to commit them into your lifestyle. Until what we know about the Word of God makes its way into our hands and our feet and our lifestyle and our actions and our words and our thoughts, we're not putting them into practice. 
teaching them to observe or obey everything I commanded. You might not be convinced yet. Here's something that's going to convince you. John chapter 14, verse 15. Look with me. John chapter 14, verse 15. What does Jesus say right here? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. An individual can say they love God all day long, 24-7, but if obedience to God, if obedience to the commandments of Jesus Christ as taught in the scriptures, if that's not characteristic of their life, they don't love God, whether it's you or somebody else. To love God is to obey his commandments. That's what it means. They're interchangeable. We love God by keeping his commandments. Jesus says it very clearly. Even a child can understand If you love me, keep my commandments, obey my commandments. Today, we think that that word obey is a dirty word. Oh, that's legalism. Does Jesus say it's legalism? Because you and I don't have a right to call something legalistic if Jesus says it's not legalistic, it's love. Today, people have all kinds of notions that we've recreated God in our own likeness. And at the end of the day, many people are saying they're following the Jesus of the Bible, but they're cherry-picking the teachings that are in the Bible, and therefore they're not following the Jesus of the Bible. And if you're not obeying the commandments that are in the Bible, Jesus' teachings, then you're not loving the Jesus of the Bible. You're loving some kind of a made-up false god that you might call Jesus. You wrap him up in any kind of clothing you want, but if it's not the Jesus of the Bible, it's not Jesus. Understand this, that Jesus' playbook was the Old Testament. That's what he drew from. That's what he taught from. He used Moses and the prophets. For three plus years, Jesus taught, preached from the playbook of the Old Testament. So please don't misunderstand as a Christian or somebody who says that you're a Christian. Please don't think that the gospel is simply about the death the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That's part of the gospel. The gospel in the Bible is defined as the entire teaching of the Bible. So when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, he's going to define what a disciple looks like, how a disciple lives, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, identifying with my death, burial, and resurrection teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. He doesn't say some of the things I've commanded, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Now here in the book of Acts chapter five, they have an angel who comes on the scene and says, stay true to what Jesus told you. And that's the same word of the Lord today for us in the 21st century. Stay true to the teachings of Jesus. Do not compromise on the identity or the teachings of Jesus. Now you say to yourself, well, what do you mean, Mike? What are some of the ways that we might be tempted to compromise on the teachings of Jesus today? Aren't you starting to walk a fine line here? Do you mean that? Listen, I'm going to put it to you this way. In the same way that the apostles were unafraid to stand up and speak out about the resurrection to the Sadducees who denied it, there are people today who need to hear the truth about gender identity. They need to hear the truth about sex and sexuality. And I know that that's not popular, and I don't care. Does it look like the apostles cared when they were preaching about the resurrection to the Sadducees? 
Looks to me like the only thing they cared about was being true to God, regardless of what mere mortals believed. Does that make me a hater of people? Well, if that's the case, then Jesus is the bigger hater because it was God, as it says in the book of Genesis, that male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. And it wasn't okay, it was good. And the Hebrew word that's used there for good is that it's complete, it cannot be improved upon. The idea of the institution of marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime comes from Almighty God. So I'm not a hater by endorsing what God has ordained. And neither are you. That doesn't mean I have to rant and rave and flail my hands and look like a raving idiot and become arrogant. I can speak with humble courage, unapologetically, about the truth of God. And yes, I can love people while disagreeing with the opinion of the people. It is entirely possible. In fact, if you're a Christ follower, it is probable that you will be called, you are called to love people while not loving their behavior. If you don't believe me, then please explain the cross. The crucifixion is where God makes his statement against sin and in favor of the sinner. Love and justice kissed at the cross. Your lifestyle does matter to God. If it doesn't matter what people believe and it doesn't matter how people live, then could you please explain to me the cross? The cross was not accomplished so that any of us and all of us could just do whatever we want. If that's the case, then why is Jesus showing up after the crucifixion and after the resurrection saying, teach people to observe everything I commanded? The cross doesn't diminish the commandments of Jesus. The cross is what should activate our obedience to Jesus' commands. All of the commands of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. God does hate sin. God does love the sinner. Christians, we are called to hate sin beginning with our own and love the sinner. And one of the things we need to repent of is having this attitude of looking down our noses with a self-righteous attitude. The only righteousness we have is Christ's righteousness. And if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, we will be compelled with humble courage to address the issues of sin in our own lives and the issues of sin in the lives of other people. And we will not care about being called a hater. You got a problem with me? Jesus said, if they hate you, keep in mind that they hated me first. It's time to vomit up the Kool-Aid, folks. And to stop embracing this myth, this falsehood, this deception, this coercion, that the opinions of people matter just because they're in a position of authority. If someone in a position of authority or local or state or federal government tells you to shut up and stop speaking about Jesus or to stop teaching something that Jesus taught, you have a holy God-given obligation to stand up and speak out with humility and with courage to obey God rather than people. Now look with me here. Peter doesn't just say, the apostles don't just say, we must obey God rather than men. 
They say the God of our fathers raised Jesus. Again, the resurrection in the face of being told to shut up about the resurrection. Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Look at that word obey again. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. They went into executive session. Let's talk for a little bit here about what's actually happening. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. This man's speaking wisdom here. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from those men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And if you're going to teach and preach about Jesus as the Christ, you cannot do that without teaching about the teachings of Jesus as the Christ. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. We you might be living in the 21st century. That might be the first century, but God has not changed. His requirements, his mission that he gave to the apostles is the same mission that he gave to us. Let God fill you with the Holy Spirit. Let God lead you with the Holy Spirit. Vomit up that Kool-Aid that we've all ingested, that it is a Christian responsibility to obey someone in authority, no matter what. That is not taught in the scriptures. We obey governing authorities unless and until they tell us to sit down and shut up about Jesus and his teachings. Anybody interested in standing up and being faithful to Jesus and his teachings? You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.